I'm Ben Lewis, co-host of Matchpoint Canada, writer for Sportsnet.ca, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm one third of your host. That's right. Usually it's a half, but this time we have all three of us. Like the AEW Championship, there's one for three of them, and usually there's two in WWE with the merger of UFC. Anyways, we'll get into that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man who makes me sound amazing, the one behind all the NFT articles, which if you haven't yet, go to prosportspodcasters.com, sign up for our newsletter. Kobe will help you with that. This guy has known me since we started this. He's a good friend of mine. Please welcome Colbert Durand. Kobe, how you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. I'm feeling stellar. How you doing today? I am living the dream. Cannot complain. But but we have to ask our other friend here, the guy who uh, makes us sound more diverse. And you know, we all love his accent. I hear it gets the ladies. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my brother from down under, Nee Wallace-Bruce. Nee, how are you doing? I'm hot. I am oh. hot. It is yeah. quite warm in Ontario on a separate note. <laughs> I feel like that was a double entendre behind that, but you are a good-looking gentleman, as the ladies love to tell me. Indeed. And Yes, yes. And last but not least, gentlemen, we have a guest with us. This guy is new to our podcast, but you know we've all seen his articles on Sportsnet. That's right. He's a writer for Sportsnet, specifically tennis, and he's the co-host of Matchpoint Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Ben Lewis. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks uh, so much for, for having me. As uh, we chat, we're kind of winding down the U.S. Open, which has been a super exciting tournament for me personally to follow. So a lot of tennis happening right now, which is great. Oh, yes, indeed. And I know we're going to get into that. But before we start moving there, let's start from the humble beginnings. The who are you? So, Mr. Ben, how did you start this? How did you get into this? What happened? Is this your first choice of career? Tell us everything. <laughs> um yeah that's a that's a good good place to start i in a way it it was my first choice of career just uh i grew up in kingston ontario um you know small small city um was part of a community tennis club and i uh, was always just interested in sports and being around sports as much as i could i you know played baseball i was really no good at it played basketball i was okay at it and really spent my summers um, playing especially a lot of tennis at the Kingston Tennis Club doing summer camps. And that was definitely the sport I was best at. But uh, just between that, I've always been an avid follower of sports, whether it's tennis, baseball, basketball, hockey back in the day, maybe a little less so NFL. And I was always pretty stats obsessed and commentary obsessed and always really had an interest in broadcasting and journalism. Um, you know, fast forward to high school, I, I took a radio broadcasting co-op where we um, had opportunities to host music shows. So getting that opportunity in high school was great for me. Um, 
and I became a little more comfortable and confident sort of speaking by taking drama in university over at Bishop's University in Quebec. And that kind of actually did segue me into this career because I wrote for the campus newspaper there. I was editor of the sports page there. That led me to um, a postgraduate program at Centennial College in Toronto, which is where I live now. And uh, it kind of launched my broadcasting career, which has bounced around a little bit because I I worked out west in Saskatchewan for a period of time. I was in Ottawa for a year and and back settled in in Toronto. And uh, yeah, it's it's always kind of been a, a path I wanted to take. Well, sir, you just touched on two parts of my life. I went to Centennial College, and I'm currently in Saskatchewan. So no way, look, yeah. <laughs> whereabouts in Saskatchewan? Currently, Regina. Okay, okay. So I, I, my first broadcasting job, I suppose you could say, um, coming out of Centennial College was actually in Melfort, Saskatchewan, working for a split radio station there. So um, doing news, sports, weather at an AM/FM split radio station. And uh, that was kind of how I got my break. And that's certainly a route some some people can go is is going to a smaller place where you get more opportunity. You might get to learn a few more things rather than maybe remaining in, in the big city. But, uh, you know, every 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 person's path is different. And, and that's been mine. That's it. There's more than one way to climb a mountain. Isn't that right, Kobe? Many ways. Many ways. I've climbed many. So I. <laughs> I speak from experience. Now, Ben, a year ago this time, uh, we were speaking with a, another tennis analyst, and we pretty much agreed that it felt like the golden era for Canadian tennis. Did we jump the gun? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, we've I've, I've had those conversations. You know, last year I, I was calling it the golden era of tennis to a lot of people. Uh, I I don't want to say we've jumped the gun because if you look at, the depth of Canadian tennis and, you know, all those names that stand out to people, Felix Ojeale, Asim Bianca Andrescu, Denis Shapovalov, Leila Fernandez. I mean, none of them have turned even 25 yet. So that's where I, I kind of look at this crop of young players and say there's so much room to build and to grow. And all of them, presumably, if they're on the right path, I mean, it doesn't always work out perfectly, but Presumably, if they are on the right path doing the right things, all of them should improve and get better. If you look at 2023 in a vacuum, though, uh, it's it's been really a very difficult season. Uh, I mean, for all four of those players in terms of results, in terms of dealing with injuries. I mean, Denis Shapovalov, for example, I'm basically post-Wimbledon, hasn't really been able to play with his knee issue. We know all the struggles Felix Ojeale seems to been having. Bianca Andrescu, I mean, we know her extensive injury history. And then Leila Fernandez, who hasn't really been able to string things together uh, this year. But I don't want to say any of these players, it was, you know, Bianca fluked her way to you, to a U.S. Open or Leila happened to make a final. Like, I, I don't think tennis always works that way. However, I mean, it's cliche to say, like, it's hard to get to the top, tougher to stay at the top. I, I think some, I think kind of our Canadian players are, are feeling that right now. And uh, they all have some, some work to do. But I, I still, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, I think, with all of them. Is there anyone on their way up that people aren't talking about? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a few names in the pipeline. I, I think 
most of them are really coming from the women's side right now. If you talk about a couple of young teenage talents, I think Victoria Maboko from Montreal, she's a very special player. I, I had a chance to watch her last year courtside at the National Bank Open. The pace and weight of her shots just unbelievable. Her serve is incredible already. You know, she's hitting at 180 kilometers an hour already, and that was at age 16. I mean, she just turned 17, I think, uh, you know, just the other week, actually. And, you know, she's inside the top 350, and she's really been very impressive at the ITF level, which tells me it's going to be a natural leap for her. I I don't know if she's going to go the college route or not, that's an option for her, but at age 17, seeing that she's winning a lot of matches right now is a very good sign that she could perhaps transition to pro and have some success. I think another name to watch for also on the women's side is Marina Stakushik. Uh, she's 18 years old, also saw her play last year, and she just recently won a 15, 15K event, a women's 15,000 tournament. Uh, So, I mean, that's obviously a fantastic result for her. She's been kind of steadily having good performances across these ITF sort of challenger events. I think she had a pretty good showing actually in Montreal this year at the National Bank Open. Alicia Parks, who's a, a strong American player, she pushed her three sets. So that tells you her level is kind of right there with some of the best, best players. So I think those are two names that are on a really good path. And then on the men's side, I think Gabriel Diallo is really the guy to sort of look forward to. Uh, he's in inside the top 150 right now. He got his first ATP match tour draw win in Toronto, beating Dan Evans, who's, of course, a top 25 player. Uh, he's a young talent. Alexi Gallarno is another one who he's stagnated maybe a little bit around the 200 range, but I, I like the way he plays and competes. I think th- I think we do have a few names in, in the pipeline uh, who are going to make some leaps, uh, especially in the next year. Nice. So the future looks bright. That's a good thing. Before I pass you on to Neeg, quick question about the current U.S. Open happening right now as we speak. Any chance we do not see a Alcaraz Djokovic final? I mean, there's always a chance, right? <laughs> I, you know, there's there's nothing. Nothing's a guarantee. You never want to say anything's a guarantee um, because just in in sport, you you never know. Uh, I would say, like, you know, Carlos Alcaraz has looked fantastic this tournament, and I, I thought in particular the way he just comfortably dismantled Sasha Zverev in the quarterfinals would tell you he's coming in with all sorts of form. You look at his head-to-head with Medvedev, particularly their last few matches, the way he completely hit him off the court at Wimbledon. He dominated him earlier in the season at Indian Wells. That would tell you this is such a mismatch. But Danil Medvedev is uh, you know, a, a dangerous problem solver, and he's won a slam before. I think he's most comfortable at the U.S. Open of any courts at all in the world. I think he seems to play some of his best tennis here. And I think he's played a fantastic tournament. Uh, I mean, he was driving Andre Rublev crazy in that quarterfinal match. Rublev just could not hit a ball by him. Uh, his defensive skills and counterpunching is, is just some of the best in the world. So I wonder if he can change tactics and give himself a chance at Alcaraz. I, I don't want to just write this off. as like we saw Carlos beat him so easily the last two times that it's over. Medvedev will never have a chance against him. So I do think he has a puncher's chance. And I, I mean, Novak, of course, is he's he's a massive favorite against Ben Shelton. There's yeah. no question about that. 
I will say, if you're kind of trying to mold sort of an outside of the top five, top 10 player to really trouble Novak, it would be a Ben Shelton type. Someone who is crushing the ball left-handed, big heavy kick serves, not giving you any rhythm from the back of the court, no interest in long rallies, playing hard and flat on the backhand wing. I mean, Yuri Vesely is 2-0 career-wise against Novak Djokovic, just to drop a random name. And aspects of his game are similar to Shelton's in that he has that left-handed sort of style, uh, hits flat and hard, and really drives the ball at your feet and doesn't give you rhythm. So Shelton, in that sense, I think he can trouble him. I will be stunned if he beats him. It's best of five. I mean, Novak best of five. You really need to do something incredibly special to pull it off. But I, I think he can give, give him some problems. Okay, that's a very political answer. We'll, we'll, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you two gentlemen talked about the, the rise of the Canadian tennis if that was last year's story, I feel like this year's story is the the star-spangled uh, renaissance of on the on the courts at this tournament in particular, and also in previous Grand Slams. We've seen Ben Shelton, as you mentioned, Francis Tiafo, Coco Goff, who's uh, you know currently playing right now as we record. She's in the in the in the business end of the women's draw, and and also Jessica Pagula and Madison Keys. The, the U.S. tennis is experiencing a youth movement. We know that the Williams sisters were dominant over the last 20 years, but then is this like the, the comeback of U.S. Tennis, tennis that we need? I, I think it's been asked for a lot on the men's side. I think they've really you know, spoken about that to death really kind of for the last 20 years because Andy Roddick won the U.S. Open in 2003, didn't win another slam. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the men's side has really been searching for a champion to get behind in particular. And right now, I, I mean, ranking-wise, it looks really strong, really strong in terms of depth inside the top 50 in particular. And you look just inside that top 15 top 20 obviously Taylor Fritz is a top 10 player Tiafo who I think is leaving the top 10 because of that quarterfinal loss I mean he's right there and made the semis of the US Open last year Tommy Paul we've seen him have great success he was in the semifinals of the Australian Open at the front end of the year and then Ben Shelton who maybe you could argue has the highest ceiling of all these guys because he's just still 20 years old and turned pro just last year with this result uh he's guaranteed a place inside the top 20 come Monday. Then you have other names who are making noise, like Christopher Eubanks making a quarterfinal at Wimbledon. Sebastian Corda, who's dealt with some injuries this year, but he's a very talented, special player, I I think, when he's on. And Mackenzie McDonald, who's kind of like that troublemaker in the draw who can take out a big name. So in terms of the men's side of American tennis, there's a lot of depth, and you're wondering, can one of these guys pull it off and win a slam i i think it's reasonable to say yes especially with a ben shelton type maybe a tiafo or taylor it's hard to say and then the women's side i mean to me that especially the top 10 having coco goff and jessica bagula and coco really really coming on strong through the summer and really at the beginning of her career at age 19 and i think we've seen her adding Brad Gilbert to her coaching team. She's just taken off. And she looks so strong and confident. I mean, I think she's 16 or 17 and one now since uh, since Washington with two titles. And now to be in the semifinals, Madison Keys to be 
in the semifinals as well. And she made the U.S. Open final six years ago. There are a lot of options, I think, for the women's side now that, of course, Serena is gone and, and Venus is sort of in the twilight of her career and, and not able to compete for slams anymore. Indeed. Now, i, I got to touch on this. Is, is Ben Shelton the, the player with the most upside in the men's draw because his name's Ben? hey you know what you know what it's it's really it's really hard for me not to root for him not only do we share the same name he i'm i'm a left-handed tennis tennis player as well so uh, i love getting on board with the lefties so really he has a lot of qualities that i can relate to but (laughs) i mean you know not speaking facetiously i i think upside wise how can you not be excited about this guy the way he dominated college at florida he hadn't stepped foot outside the u.s to play a single tournament when he officially turned pro, you know, wins three challengers consecutively in the fall. His first ATP wildcard came in Atlanta last year, and he beat Lorenzo Sinego and Casper Ruud back-to-back. That told him instantly, I'm ready to go right now. We're doing this. We're, we're a prof- I'm a professional tennis player right now. And for him to, you know, go down under in Australia, make a quarterfinal, uh, like what what an announcement to the tour of how big of a threat he is. And it seems like he really prefers the best of five format because, you know, the rest of his season outside of those two slams has been kind of patchy. But I think now that we've seen it at the U S open, particularly on the hard courts, I think it's really going to come together for him and we're going to see him consistently making runs deep in tournaments. Very good. Now, before I pass you on to fellow Molly Duka. Uh, Justin, uh, hey. I have to ask about this this U.S. rise. Is this going to cast a shadow of over the the golden generation that we mentioned in Canada, or is this going to be the tide that lifts all the boats in North American tennis in the foreseeable future? Well, I would love for the answer to be the latter. There, obviously, and I would love to kind of grow a rivalry. It's something we've talked about a bit on our podcast, growing a rivalry between Canadian and American tennis, I think would be so good for the sport in North America. And for that to happen, we need our top players performing, uh, particularly the Canadians. And Felix has obviously not done that this year, which has been unfortunate. And I, I think kind of a pressure point of his season is really upcoming over the next month or two, because last year he won three consecutive indoor tournaments and that really, you know, compiled a lot of ranking points for him. And he might be feeling the pressure to defend those points and, uh, you know, keep that ranking inside the top 15. I think he's 14 right now or 14 or 15. So he's going to be feeling the pressure. I, I hope he's not too fixated on ranking and more fixated on, you know, finding his rhythm back on the court, finding his self-belief and confidence between the lines, which has, you know, noticeably been lacking. And we need more, we need a lot more consistency from Denis Shapovalov. I think that's been a theme throughout his career. He's up and down a lot, but we we know when he is on the highs uh, in his game, he's such a phenomenal shot maker and so remarkably talented. Uh, you feel like he can be a top 10 player when he sets his mind to it. So it's, it's kind of reliant on those two to build like a, a rivalry between Canadian and American tennis. But you know, if, if they're not careful, you don't want to get left behind because the tour is not waiting for you. You know, when you're struggling, these guys are all working to improve and get better and stronger. And, you know, we could see a quite a revolving door. I think of the top 20 names, you know, changing a lot because there's a lot of parody right now on the men's side. 
I hear that. I must say, mate, your your answers are like nice, sweet volleys, forehand volleys. They're just crisp, they're smooth. It, it reminds me of Roger Federer back in the day. Right, Justin? Exactly. I was going to say he's the Roger Federer of podcasts and, <sighs> I guess, journalism and all that fun. Like you don't, you're too good to be a writer at this point. The world, <laughs> you're way, constant. you're way too kind. Well, I, I, I will say, like the the writing is is more of the the side gig because we are doing, you know, we are doing our weekly weekly podcast with Matchpoint Canada and getting interviews and whatnot. So, so it is more at the forefront, I would say, than the writing. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. The program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. Now to kind of further on Canadian tennis, with Felix, Bianca, Layla, all of them doing moderately to really well, with Canada doing its its part in trying to establish named people and doing well what can we keep doing to allow this to grow obviously our depending you can say government's funding or whatever but what else can people do yeah that's i i mean obviously it starts with grass grassroots programs and and building from there having a good foundation that you're working off uh you know in in Ontario we have the Ontario Tennis Association uh for me as as a part-time tennis coach who who works with juniors it's it's so pivotal that they're part of consistent programs where they're getting hours on the court and match play over and over again and playing different players and you know experiencing every different game style you can this is how you get better in the sport you know sometimes you can get caught in that same style and you play the same way and you're going to go out there and realize uh, i'm kind of monotone about this sport because i haven't learned to adapt to all the other styles uh that people can play tennis and that's kind of to me that's always the beauty of this sport is that there's no one perfect way to play tennis i mean the the perfect example of that is as you mentioned roger federer roger federer and rafael nadal being the two legends of the game they were and playing the game in such a completely different way. Uh, So I think for Canadian tennis to continue to grow and to continue to build, we're, you know, Tennis Canada is doing a good job, I think, funding more year-round courts, especially indoor tennis. Like, that's where we really have to take advantage and have a consistent presence of facilities. And you're seeing more upcoming and Kingston, Ottawa, out in Vancouver and BC. We want some, I think, more on the East Coast, which would be important to develop players there. But I, I think, you know, if you're talking about the current crop of players, anytime we see a Bianca Andrescu, for example, make a run and win the US Open, or Leila Fernandez putting on a show at Flushing Meadows two years ago and making the final, or Felix Oje Aliassim having the run that he had last fall, or Canada winning Davis Cup, all this helps to inspire the next generation. And I do think there are a lot of great coaches around the country who are involved with juniors and, and trying to, you know, take them to far places in their career, get them scholarships where they can, you know, maybe go to the United States and, and get a good college and build a foundation there and have a path to perhaps turn professional. Uh, the opportunities are there. Um, 
and I, I think we are on the right track in terms of more and more programs and funding uh, for tennis courts kind of around the country. Wow, that, uh, that answer should be shown to the governments. Everyone across <laughs> Canada be like, listen, this man has something to say. Yeah, I mean, building on the next generation conversation, Ben, do you believe that women should start playing five set Grand Slams? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, th I think there's even more dialogue surrounding the idea of even pulling best of five out of the men's game. I mean, that's, that's essentially what happened. If you think about it, uh, about 15 years ago that we used to have the masters 1000s on the men's side that were best of five. I, I mean, you can go back and recall some great five set finals between Federer and Nadal in Miami that used to be a best of five format. Even the ATP finals used to be a best of five format. And we've dialed that back to best of three. I think if we saw any type of change, it would actually come from the men's side dropping from best of five to best of three. I like the way it is right now. I, I think we want to market both sides of the sport. And I love the idea of having one entity Tennis has an issue where it has so many different governing bodies. You know, we have the International Tennis Federation, we have the ATP, we have the WTA, uh, we have different bodies sort of involved in different tournaments with the challenger circuits, and there's, uh, you know, different different governing bodies. Uh, French Tennis Federation owns all the rights to Roland Garros, and the Slams are their separate entities with Wimbledon and the U.S. Open and the Australian Open, and there's such a disconnect across all these different bodies who aren't working together if you had one solid overriding body which is working on marketing men's and women's tennis. The fact that Tennis TV, for example, is just men's tennis, and if you want women's tennis, you're getting onto WTA TV. I mean, to me, that's a problem. If Tennis TV is living with both men's and women's sports, people are going to consume both and both have great quality. I think women's tennis is incredibly exciting in a best two of three format. And it provides like that same sort of level of parity. I think scheduling would become an issue too if suddenly we've stretched out both men's and women's at slams to be best of five that I wouldn't really tweak with that personally. So you don't think it belittles the women's game to have them just Grand Slams as three sets? No, I don't think it belittles the game at all. I think what can belittle the women's game in a Grand Slam format is lack of promotion of big matches or, you know, when when it's not being showcased on a big court, when you have a big matchup. For example, like Coco Goff right now playing Carolina Muhova, if those two happen to be meeting at the French Open and the French Open isn't giving them Philip Chatrier, the top court, or Suzanne Langlin okay. isn't giving them a prime broadcast spot. It's all about like getting that prime time slot. I don't think it is all about kind of length of time of match. It's showcase. And, you know, we've seen that sort of go wrong in the past where Annette Contivate, for example, was finishing out her career at the US Open and gets thrown over on a side court on court 16 or whatever it is or court nine and she was a world number two that's kind of the things i take issue with where i think tennis needs to do a better job that's my personal feeling who do you think moves the needle the most on the women's side of the game oh that's a good question that's a really good question actually I think we've, I mean, we've talked about her. I think Coco Goff is a huge needle mover, honestly. I think she's so incredibly exciting to watch. Just the way she moves around the court, the way she carries herself. 
the way she competes, you know, she brings an audience in. Even if you're not personally rooting for her, I, I think she's played such compelling matches already this U.S. Open, and she's done so in the past in her career. You look at even when she was 15 years old, her run to the round of 16 at the All England Club, that really captivated the crowd in London and had a lot of fans at Wimbledon pulling for her. I think she's a big-time needle mover. And, I, I mean, Naomi Osaka certainly moved the needle when she was playing. I, I understand she plans on playing the Australian Open. Of course, she gave birth to her first child, so, but so had the year off. She plans on returning. I think she's one of those players who can be generational, just her quality of game, especially on hard courts. I mean, she's won four slams on the hard court surfaces, which is just incredible. And I, I think Anz Jabeur has that quality too. It's It's a shame, I think for a lot of tennis fans that she couldn't pull through at Wimbledon having the past two opportunities and, and being so close, but her game style, her variety, her personality. Yeah. Those, those three names really stand out to me. Yeah. I got to agree with you. I, I also think tennis benefits from having an American champion, an American at the top of the, the it heat, does. so to speak, because of the massive market you've got to appeal with there. So Coco Goff, if she keeps going the way she's going, that'll be massive for women's tennis. Yeah, no, I, I 100% uh, agree with you there. And that's, I mean, we saw that as well. And, and you get the same sense with if there's a British champion on the men's or women's side, yeah. they always become very marketable. And we saw that with Emma Raducanu. Uh, so, I, I mean, of course, she also moves the needle, I should say. It's just a name that a lot of people have almost forgotten about because uh, she's basically injured for almost all of this season and underwent surgery. So we'll, we'll see if she can make a return next year and, and do something. Right on. Yeah, it's always good. And I've got to drive in there and say it'd be good to see some more Australian champions back up there as well, uh, especially when the Australian Open comes around. It's, it's been a little while between drinks. I know we had the body, body party a few years ago, but even before then, there was a little bit of a drought going on. So, yeah, it's always nice to see some of those, I guess, foundational nations of tennis have a style that we can all look towards. Now, then, I must admit, I was blown away when you talked about those multiple organizations that are involved in the administration of tennis. I did not realize that there were so many. But you touched on an interesting point with a... Were you suggesting that there might be a potential merger of the ATP and WTA? I, I mean, I was, because it's it's already been talked about quite a bit, and it's been kind of making headlines over the past week or two of discussion of a merger. And I, I mean, this actually came up, I want to say, maybe three years ago or so, even just Roger. I mean, there's always a lot of weight to it when Roger Federer is tweeting about it. Uh, I mean, he tweeted about the idea of having a merger between the two two, uh, two tours. Rafael Nadal, I think, reshared his tweet saying, I also support this. And now I think we're also seeing some headway from the uh, PTPA, which is a formed players association led by Novak Djokovic and also Canadian Vashik Pospisil, who's heavily involved in that. I, I think a lot of them who are part of that association want to see some type of merger. And just to make a parallel to golf as a sport, for example, I mean, we were hearing a lot of talk about the possibility of Saudi Arabia being the landing spot for the WTA finals. Apparently that's not happening. It sounds like it's going to Cancun, Mexico, uh, but that being in discussion makes you think of, of course, what happened with PGA and Live Tour. And I, I think just the importance of having unity 
amongst maybe one governing body, one organization where everyone feels like they're represented. Uh, represented. So I, I don't know if a merger is the answer to, to have things together, but certainly you can't have these multiple governing bodies who kind of are not in cohesion whatsoever and are really only looking out for themselves. So uh, for me, that very much has to change. And if you do get changes at the top, one one quality thing that can happen as well is we start getting more fair distribution of prize money across mm -hmm. the tour. And suddenly that gives more opportunities from players coming up, you know, when you're struggling around the, you know, 400 in the world or 300 in the world. I, I think if you're 300th in the world at anything in any field, you should be properly compensated and not feel like you're struggling, struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, I hear that. That's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm clapping. I'm clapping without physically clapping because that's, that's, that's what's up. I've heard that, I, I forget who it was. You can probably uh, fill in the gap here. But one of the players did mention that, you know, he or she was playing hurt in one of the big tournaments this year because, well, they pretty much had to pay the bills. And mm -hmm. they, I don't think people understand, but when players don't play, they don't get paid, right? Well, exactly. And uh, I mean, this is also a problem too, where you have some players kind of dragging themselves to attempt to play a Grand Slam when they're by no means healthy whatsoever, or attempt to play a tournament when they're by no means healthy whatsoever, to be able to get a paycheck to keep their career going. Uh, so you don't want that to be so normalized, which I, I think it is right now. So that's, that's a bit problematic. And I mean, we know the the big difference between t tennis and all these other sports is it's so individualistic. And, you know, if you're a professional athlete playing hockey, playing baseball, basketball, uh, American football, any of these sports, you have the protection of a union, first and foremost. And, you know, say you're a, a member of the Buffalo Sabres, you have your free access to the personal trainer, to the strength and conditioning coach, to the physio, all these things that are paid for by the organization. All these traveling players, they have to pay for their own coach. They have to pay for their physio. They have to pay for their fitness trainer, all of these things. And, you know, if you want to risk traveling without one of one of these uh, very, very important members of your team, what happens? Probably your tennis suffers. Uh, so it's quite a catch-22 and, and very problematic uh, for a lot of these players trying to push on in their career. And the tragic thing that always happens or can happen in this sport is you have certain players give up because they run out of money. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that in a couple of different realms. We've seen that in mixed martial arts, especially. We've seen that in golf, and I'm sure you already know this, but it's quite often it's on the women's side. So, yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying, that we need this consolidation to take place so that players can get paid accordingly and that they can actually do this as a pursuit of a career as opposed to, you know, something secondary to a survival, survival job. Now, then... Justin mentioned at the top that you were the co-host of the Match Play Canada. MPC, Match Point Canada, that's right. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for cleaning it up for me. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, so we're actually the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And I mean, originally, I think this was back in 2018, I had just started kind of a casual tennis podcast with a colleague of mine when I was at Sportsnet 590 The Fan. 
And, you know, it, it sort of happened quite organically because he and I just loved talking tennis. Uh, and he was kind of one of the other big tennis fans in the room and in the studio regularly. It's it's a little more niche. <laughs> I recognize that. So there's not always faces around to talk tennis with me. Uh, so, you know, we were always chatting about t- tennis and then just sort of started a podcast casually um, and began kind of focusing on Canadian players. Things changed. He actually left that radio station, but I teamed up with another tennis photographer who also had his own website at the time named Mike McIntyre. And we started carrying on with the podcast and we thought, you know, we're building something. We're getting good interviews. This is feeling like structured. We're kind of building a bit of an audience. It's maybe, maybe kind of small, but those who are listening are interested and want to hear more. And we thought we had enough to like take this to Tennis Canada and pitch it and say, hey, like we have something that we're pretty happy with here. And I, I think especially now, which was 2019 at the time, uh, felt like a prime opportunity to have a podcast discussing not just not just Canadian tennis players, but tennis at large and really marketing the sport because we did feel at the time and we, I know we discussed it at the top of the show about a golden era of Canadian tennis that we felt like we were venturing into that. And I, I'm, I'm still going to feel that way. And especially in 2019, we really were trending in a great direction. So Tennis Canada sort of signed on with us as to be their official podcast. And, you know, with that, I mean, we still have complete creative control and uh, it, it just gives a little more strength to the name and brand and we've been able to get some great interviews and insights and analysis and we're also in the tennis channel podcast network which which helps our exposure and yeah we've kind of been growing for the past five years now yeah we go and shout out to the talented mr gil gross who's a friend of the show Mm -hmm. Uh, he is often seen on said tennis channel now ben are you ready for some rapid fire to end the show (laughs) <laughs> sure, sure. That's actually a segment we used to do with a few of the players. So happy to engage in some rapid fire. Buckle in. Okay. Yep. Buckle up, buttercup. All <laughs> right. Here we go. Grass, clay, or hard court? Hard. Agassi or Sampras? Oh, goodness. Sampras. Yes. <laughs> Graf or Celes? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Graph. Okay. Kleisters or Ennin? Oh boy, you know what? I'm I'm gonna be nice and say and say Kim Kleisters just because I always preferred her. Yeah, okay. You've, you've got friends in Australia. Um forehand or backhand? <laughs> uh forehand. Okay, okay. Very good. Well, mate, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And before we let you go, tell our listeners where they can find you and TMPC on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you can always find me on Twitter at Ben Lewis, which is L-E-W-I-S, at Ben Lewis M-P-C, which of course stands for our podcast, Matchpoint Canada. And you can find our podcast uh, also on Twitter, which is at Matchpoint Can, capital C-A-N. And, uh, you know, we have a presence on Instagram as well. The handle is at Matchpoint Canada. Really simple. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you if you guys are interested in hearing more, follow along with the podcast. I appreciate, appreciate you guys having me on. Indeed. Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we will. Appreciate your time. 
one last one for our audience. A bold prediction in the world of tennis or something else for the rest of 2023. A bold prediction. Oh, wow. Let's see. What would a bold prediction be? We will get a first-time winner at the ATP finals later this season. I don't know how bold that is, um, but it's going to be a brand new name uh, to win the ATP finals. Okay, a new name on the old trophy, oldest trophy. All right, we will watch with interest. <laughs> Good having you aboard, Ben. Yeah, uh, pleasure, guys. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.